Gad. This is Pinky of Pinky and the Brain, and you are listening to An Elegant Weapon. It's the only thing the Brain and I listen to just before we take over the world, which means we listen a lot, because we've never really taken over the world, have we? Oh, well. No. An Elegant Weapon is brought to you by Nemesis Studios. What are y'all doing in here? We're smoking reefer, and you don't want no part of this shit. An Elegant Weapon, but a more civilized age. This is a journey into sound. And gentlemen, welcome to An Elegant Weapon, episode 158. My name is Jay, the Jedi Ross. Please excuse me while I flick my bick. Jiminy Crickets. Jumpin' Joe Willikers. How are y'all, kids? It's fantastic to be here back with you this week in the L5J Studios. This week... Again, we bring you more fantastic, independent, comic, creator goodness. This week, I sit down with a very familiar guest of An Elegant Weapon. He is my very good friend, Mr. Anthony Rutgazer, a.k.a. Anthony Kingdom James. Uh, Anthony is the writer of a comic book. It's called The First Hero. It's from Action Lab, beginning Wednesday, August 12th. The Kickstarter. For the first hero, Volume Two shall begin. Uh, y'all have to get out there and support it. If you haven't seen or read or picked up the first hero, Volume One yet, you need to do that. You need to go find it. Uh, if you want to read Issue One of Volume Two, it's already available on the Comicsology. So get on there and check it out. But uh, there was a few things that made this very good timing for Anthony to be a guest on the show, uh, because not only is his Kickstarter dropping for his fabulous new comic book, but also uh, Anthony is a long-time member of the independent wrestling community in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And he is the former head of the Union of Independent Wrestlers. And at the moment, he is part of the group All Black Everything, which is ripping up the Toronto Independent Professional independent professional Wrestler. Does that make sense? I don't know how that works. Uh, but yeah, they're out there kicking ass and taking names and stuff. Uh, but with the uh, recent passing of the man himself, the legend, Mr. Rowdy, Roddy Piper, uh, it also worked out nicely having uh, a wrestling aficionado as 
Anthony is on the show to discuss that. So that's what we do. We talk about the excitement coming up for Fan Expo and Volume 2 of The First Hero. And we talk a little bit about what's happening in the wrestling world these days in Toronto, Ontario. And, of course, we reminisce about the rowdy one. So please sit back, uh, peck a bowl, sip your tea, do your thing, uh, and enjoy the return of the kingdom. Okay, so it begins, and you made the decision. How long ago would you say that was when you were like, okay, I'm going to actually do this now, and started like shipping your first hero idea around? Oh, shoot. Uh, Let's think. When did I start soliciting? Uh, I'm so bad with... Years. Uh, <laughs> was it within a year before they picked it up, or had it been, I don't think no, it's been I'll tell you what, years or anything, part, right? Part of the reason I can do this is because of when it happened. It was January second of two thousand and thirteen. That's about right. Yeah, January second of two thousand and thirteen. That Action Lab. Uh, first said, we want the book. Um, it was, now, what I, sh- I shouldn't say Action Lab, I should say Dave Dwanch. Dave Dwanch is the creative director at Action Lab. Yes. It actually took some convincing on Dave's part to get Action Lab to say yes. Because they had wanted to avoid superhero books, which is something that a lot of indie uh, publishers do. Um, when you're, if you, if you are self-publishing, say I'm, you know, say I'm Anthony Redgazer on my own and I start uh, 16 hectares comics. Sure. Um, then I'm going to publish whatever it is that I'm writing. So if I write a superhero book, then I'm an indie publisher with a superhero book. If I write a horror book, I'm an indie publisher with a horror book. When you get to companies like Action Lab, Boom, IDW, uh, who are uh, a publishing house, just to give it, I, I don't know, you know, listen, listen sure. this is the terminology in my head. Whatever anybody else calls it is their, their problem. Uh, <laughs> when they're a publishing house and you have um, a number of properties, uh, then that's when you have to start as a publisher dealing with a philosophy. And a lot of publishers make an effort to avoid superhero books because... <laughs> How are you going to compete with Marvel or DC? Yeah, you know? silly, yeah. You can, listen, you can go out and manufacture cotton swabs all you want. People are still going to call them Q-tips. Okay? <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, you know, uh, everything is jello, you know? Um, so Marvel and DC have the lion's share of the market for superhero books. 
Obviously. So, um, yeah, so some publishers will just reject you out of hand. And what is Action Lab known for at that point? I mean, they had Skyward, at Fracture. Point, at that point, they're still trying to define themselves. Uh, I mean, at that point, yeah, at that point, they're probably best known for... I mean, everything, they kind of built off Fracture a lot in the beginning, did they not? Well, but Fracture was the first book. You're right, right. But, but there, you see, there is the thing. At, at that point, it's, it's a handful of guys saying, let's get together and we'll start a company and if we're to if we're together as you know as a commune we can uh, mutually reduce our printing costs we can it, at that point i don't think the i they should you know chad or, or somebody could speak better to this i don't think the initial idea is Let's start a company and take over the world. I think the initial idea is, as a collective, we can make this easier on ourselves to publish our, uh, you know, flights of fancy. Right. So it's as they grow, and when I come in, they're three, four years in already, um, three years in, uh, that's when they've started to develop a philosophy about the new material they're going to take in. Okay. If we're going to, um, we're going to venture our capital on, you know, new newcomers coming to our group. Well, we have to make some smart decisions about how we're going to venture that capital. And, so there was a thought amongst the group that, you know, do we really want to take on superhero books? Well, right at the same time, they were dealing with, uh, they were just, they had just dealt with or made a deal with Jamal Idol to be the publisher of record for Molly Danger. Yeah, that was a good, good get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, uh, when I'm talking to, to Dave Dwanch, my reaction is, hey, you, you got Molly Danger. What are you, you really, you're not doing a good job of avoiding superhero comics. <laughs> so, so Dave, uh, Dave took it to the board and, uh, um, convinced them this is a book we should have. And, you know, it's one of the reasons, that, you know, even when he's giving me a hard time about stuff, I, I love Dwanch because Dwanch honestly, uh, he didn't just see my book and say, yeah, let's do that. He had to champion the cause of the book. Right. To people. Right. And, uh, you know, his belief in the book is why I have this book right now. So, um, and also, we should say it's—I mean—it's not your typical caped crusading, no, like superhero no. book, you know. No, there's only one. There's only one cape that's ever been seen in my comic, and that was John Hinckley Jr. So, I mean, if the if the if, if the attempted Reagan assassination isn't uh, you know enough of a wrinkle to allow a cape, I don't know what is. But no, my my book is not a. <laughs> Uh, my book is not a, a capes and logos superhero book. 
It's uh, it's a uh, it's what I think is a fairly grounded approach to um, to superpowers in a real world. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, that's the beginning of two thousand and three, and then a few months later, um, I. I I lose my original artist and I have to go searching for a new artist. And that's when I find Philip Seavey and we bang, we go to work on the book. So from May, I want to say May, I should go back and check my e- dates on emails, but from yeah. about the summer, summer of 2003, we start steady work on the book. 13. And, yeah. uh, um, uh, you know, it takes us a few months to, to get things done and get everything together. And, uh, we do a preview of the first issue for New York Comic Con 2013. And, uh, and then the book comes out in, uh, in 2014. And, uh... It dropped a bit early, too, didn't it? What, like, it yeah, Diamond sent it out two weeks... Well, listen, now, there's, there's... There's a lot of stuff I could probably say if I were an idiot. <laughs> I'm not an idiot, and I know where... I know which side of my bread's buttered on. Uh, and, and, listen, the stuff I would say would be... Even if I said it intelligently, it would be idiotic. Uh, <laughs> uh, Diamond... Diamond got the books from the printer early and they, they sent them out. Click. It's here. It goes. So, uh, uh, the book came out two weeks early and, uh, really screwed me up. Uh, <laughs> you just weren't like, quite ready for it to start pushing. Yeah, yeah. Steve, Steve Jeppy doesn't give a rat's ass about my OCD. Um, <laughs> which I believe. I believe all stems from an incident in the uh, mid nineties where, uh, during a softball game in San Diego, I think. What? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Back when I was originally, (laughs) I listen, names are heavy and often covered in butter. So I dropped them a lot. Um, Steve, you have to explain why you cooked that one. (laughs) Yeah. Steve Jeffy, the, the, the guy behind, uh, diamond comics, uh, Diamond Distribution. Uh, one of the years, it was either 93 or 94, when I went to San Diego Comic-Con, uh, my good friend Brian Morton, who was managing the Silver Snail at the time, uh, Brian got me into a distributors versus, uh, uh, was it distributors versus retailers? Distributors, for, I think it was distributors versus creators um, softball game. And this is back in the days when there were more distributors than just Diamond. It was Diamond and Andromeda, and, and there were 13 distributors at the time. So we had this softball game, and uh, the pitchers on either side, pitchers on a uh, pitcher on, on one team, I think it was distributors versus publishers. That's what it was. Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, the the pitcher for the distributors was Steve Jeppy who is a baseball fanatic and I think owns a very minority stake in the Baltimore Orioles. Okay. Uh, the pitcher for the publishers was Dennis Kitchen. What? Of Kitchen Sink. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, sure. 
<laughs> and both great guys. It's, you, you know, sometimes you meet people and you think, oh, man, you know, years later you think, oh, I should have kept up with those people. I have, I have like a tremendous list of people that I've had really great interactions with and then a personal failing of mine, I don't know how to keep up with them or I don't keep up with them. It's hard and, to. And, uh, I mean, listen, I don't think my book would be coming out two weeks early if I kept up with Steve Jeppy. <laughs> I bet. I bet. You screwed yourself listen, all those years ago. <laughs> yeah, listen, I bet if I hadn't cranked that fucking, uh, that, that long shot to right field, I bet my book would be coming out right on time today. Uh, <laughs> awesome, awesome. But uh, no, he was he was so cool to me back then. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it's it, it, it's been a I don't even remember what the original question was. It's been a long process, you know. I yeah, mean, well, to the point, uh, like so, last year at Fan Expo, yeah, you know, Volume One comes out now. This week coming, uh, this Wednesday approaching, I believe. Volume two drops Wednesday the twelfth, yes. And as you say, you are already well into the process of volume three. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a quick rush for like a year. Like this is a comic you didn't even know if you were going to go past volume one in the. Beginning. Oh, I knew I was going past volume one. Oh, you were sure, were you? <laughs> I knew. I, listen, I'll tell you what. When I originally came up with this idea, I said I'm doing ninety issues. Oh, I didn't know your intention. So, I thought you just—I thought you're more interested dude, in getting other stuff off dude, the ground too. I am not. I am not on the writing team for Lost. I am <laughs> not. I am not working on Battlestar Galactica. I know where my story is going. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you ever see it getting to the point where are you going to keep kind of doing volume chunks, or do you hope it to get regular enough that it can be like no, okay, I, I, I actually, no volume four, we just start numbering them now? No, I like it like this. Yeah. Uh, um, I like it. For the last few years, I've I've called it the atomic robo model, um, where it's you know it's it's a continuity, but it it comes out in story arcs. One of the things that I've had to concede is that uh, number ones move more copies. Number a number one issue uh, pushes the needle, drives sales, sure, of and it bothers the hell out of me when Marvel does it because um, Marvel. Marvel dicks around with their numbering so much. They are far, by far, the worst offenders yeah. for just number oneing all the time. Yes. Like DC's guilty here and there, but Marvel just rapes the issue. Hey, listen, I love, I love the marketing right now for, uh, for, for the, uh, the next issue of uh, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, where the, 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 the ads say. Uh, only our second number one issue this year. <laughs> okay, so that's great. And Marvel, Marvel will dick around with. They'll put out a number one, and then four issues later, um, it'll be number five hundred. Right. Because you know, if you add up all the numbers of all the volumes we've done, this is fun. Just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. For the hear love you. of God, it's an achievement. 
Well, it took me a while to actually sort out the whole run of Wolverine ever done by Marvel Comics because I wanted to understand it when I was really getting back into Wolverine. And then you realize, okay, there's like three volumes, and then there's this one series, and then it's been ongoing, then it's stopped, then it started again. And it, and Wolverine's one of the ones they've mucked around with the least. Yeah. Well, so I hear what you're saying. So there's some stuff, like I think Thor's had like eight number ones in the past two years or something. Yeah. And I'd rather it just be, you know, enjoy the story arc, uh, but <laughs> and then we'll move on. But number ones, it also gives uh, new fans, new people discovering the book, uh, an easier in. Um, sure. So, like, I mean, I understand. I understand why it's being done. It just, in in a lot of cases, just bothers me because it seems like. It seems like an arbitrary. Uh, it seems like arbitrary nonsense. Well, it's a it's a strange time. I think the big two are having a it, it's a it's a time of sorting things out. Like comics have never been this big as they are right now. And what are you talking about? You think? Absolutely. Well, do you think the '90s people were buying more comics than they are now, or at least the popularity of their existence? Listen. Regardless of um, how many like, comics were, comics were, were, were way larger in decades past. The reason you're saying comics are large right now is because of their proliferation into other forms of media. No, I'm talking pure profit. I mean, you, no, must, no, hang on, hang you on. don't think they're making more off comic books right now? Like no. the industry itself is not profiting more just no. through issue sales than ever no. before? No, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't. Go on. <laughs> um, I think that, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Somebody, Brian Seaton would have a better chance telling you this. Sure, I don't know for sure, sure either. That's Actually, true. Purely but my opinion. Yeah. For for me, it's a matter of uh, I think the perception comes from uh, what's going on in other media uh, with you know with Marvel's movies and DC's movies and video games and you know um, there are more people there are more people buying Superman's uh, Superman T-shirts than are you know are reading the comic book for sure. For sure. You know, when you see there, there, there's, there's, there's a obviously there's a ton more people going to see the Avengers movie or going to see an Iron Man movie than are buying Iron Man the comic book. Um, I think it's also a gender thing. I think there's far more women into comics, reading comics these days than there were back in the day. Yeah, but that's you know that's. We'll have to get someone on these numbers. We'll have to yeah. we'll have to crunch these numbers, kids, and, and you know what you need to do is you need to contact <laughs> the guy who does Comicron, uh, who he publishes the um, he publishes the sales on a on a monthly basis. Okay. And uh, and I bet you that dude would be able to speak to you very intelligently about um about sales over the years. I mean, his, um, John Jackson Miller is his name. And, uh, his, uh, his website, it has stuff from the sixties 
You know, he, he does a sure. lot of comparison stuff. Cool. And, uh, and I'll tell you, you know what? I just went, I'm looking at his, I'm looking at his website right now. And, um, I think, I think, uh, I don't, I, I don't know how to adjust that. I wouldn't know how to adjust any of this shit for, for inflation. Right. But, um, on the surface, on the surface, it, it, it looks like, uh, what you're saying has merit because uh, the first year that he has listed here for estimated overall North American market size, 1997 is between 300, 320 million. Okay. Uh, estimated North American market size for 2014 is 835 million. Right. 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 Uh, that's just in dollars. So, uh, the average price goes from 1997. It goes from 200, or excuse me, from two dollars and sixty-two cents a comic to last year being three dollars and seventy-seven cents. See, there you go. Big difference there too, just in the yeah, price so of a comic the, these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The price goes up by uh, what is that? About forty yeah. percent. It goes well, up dollar fifteen. So, um, uh, that's. That's average prices. I, I'm not seeing. Yeah, you'd have to work it out. Here right away about units sold in those years, but yeah, I dude, I think it would be interesting for you to talk to John Jackson Miller and see what he has to uh, has to say about some of uh, some of those yeah. things and where the industry stands as far as units sold and uh, uh, revenue versus inflation, and, <laughs> the economics yeah. and numbers of comic books. That's something you wouldn't expect this show to go. That could be an yeah. interesting episode. <laughs> That's <laughs> no reason. There's no reason. I didn't get that, man. Can you explain that one more time? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, dude! Numbers. Um, no, there's yeah, there's no reason for you to not explore that one. <laughs> well, it's it's fantastic, man. I love to see it that you're finally getting to this point with this thing that you worked so hard to do. Yeah, and it was kind of weird because at the same time that you know you you did a little life shuffle. You know, you're like, okay, I'm gonna not do as much of this, and I'm gonna do more of this, and you get the book off the ground, and things go fantastic. Yeah, and you kind of decide as the one of the other passions in your life being professional wrestling. That you're going to go on a bit of a farewell tour and kind of let that rest. Yeah. And really, you know, you're going to make your comic books. Oh, man. I'm taking so much shit for that, man. Well, dude, you, I, 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 I can't have expected to have this thing that you're doing right now go be going rather well. It's all black everything, yes, or something? Uh, Yeah. there's the, I, I'm, I'm in two groups. I'm in uh, here in Toronto for a promotion called Super Kicked. Uh, I'm leading a stable called All Black Everything. And in Hamilton for Alpha One Wrestling, I lead a stable called The Oppression. Um, is it the same wrestlers? <laughs> uh, one of. Okay. One Sorry. of. Brent Banks is, uh, well, Brent isn't in Oppre The Oppression anymore. But The Oppression started with me and Brent and, and, a, and a handful of others. And, uh, All Black Everything started with me and Brent. And then we added a handful of others. Um, so, yeah, so this is supposed to be, you know, the, the final round of me winding it down. And I'm taking off. The, all Black Everything has taken off so well. Yeah. Uh, that 
Uh, like, I mean, we are currently, we, I say we, and that's a twist of the storyline. Uh, we are currently the, the, the super tick champion. Uh, so, I mean, we're, we've become integral to the show and that's amazing and flattering. Um, you're like the mouthpiece too, aren't you? Yeah. 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 So for, from my side of things, it's great to go out on top. From the promotion side of things, <laughs> and and my partners in this group, it's why is that dick scuttling, <laughs> scuttling the angle? Why is he? Why is he? Why is he bailing on what's working so well? They knew so, you were bailing going in, though. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So this isn't like a surprise to them. They no. Knew what the no. Deal no. no. Was. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the only way that all black everything happened is that the promotion uh, knew that I was sticking around for uh, for a hand, literally a handful. I originally thought it would be four. I think it's turning out to be five or six uh, shows for Alpha One this year. I'm. Just, uh, I was gonna. I decided at the. I was originally going to retire, retire at the end of last year. I decided to stick around for them for this year. Um, in the meantime, I I uh, stopped taking bookings from the other places that I was working, and I stopped taking new bookings from people who were inquiring. And then when a promotion called that I was working for called Fight Brand uh, evolved into Super Kicked. Um, they said, you know, well, listen, we've got this new thing on the go. You're going to stick around for us, right? And uh, meh, well, you know, what do you have in mind? And it sounded so great that I said, well, there's no reason not to, you know, I really enjoyed working for you before. There's no reason I wouldn't enjoy working for you now. And, but you know, end of this year, November, I'm done. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I've got my, I'm out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I have things planned out. I'm going to stick to that. And so, you know, let's give it the year and see what happens. Is it still so, the plan or? Huh? Is it still the plan or? Still the plan. Are you second guessing now? No, I'm not second guessing. Okay. See, here's the thing. I'm not second guessing. But these sons of bitches, for the, these sons of bitches for the last few months have just been going on the assumption that I'm full of shit. That I'm not retiring. <laughs> and I've made a point of letting them know over the last few weeks. This is real. <laughs> You're like, look, look, you guys aren't getting it. Yeah. I make, I make comics now. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I've been trying to do this for 52 years. Like, hey, 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 <laughs> you watch yourself, son. Uh, I, I kid, I this kid. is, but this is, yeah, it's a long, it's a long row I've hoed. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and we're coming to the end of the road here. How awesome to be at such a high coming to the end of the road, though. Eh? Like, but, see, that's the thing. For me, it's fantastic because, yeah. you know, I'm going out doing probably my the single favorite run of 
of my 20 years in this Fakakta business. Right. But for them, it was like, nah, everybody says they're retiring. Bullshit. <laughs> well. I, I think I've convinced them that it's, that I'm serious, but they think they can convince me of otherwise. I woke up this morning to a phone call from Superkicked, uh, that was, the phone call was basically, well, so next year you're going to keep working for us. Oh, it's no. just one show a month. You can do <laughs> one show a month. And I said, look, I, <laughs> here's, here's something I'm going to tell you. Uh, maybe I shouldn't tell you this. <laughs> but anybody, yeah, listen, get anybody, too into the deep. Politics well, no, no, of independent but, but anybody, anybody with half a brain will be able to figure this out. So I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. Like I mean, it's listed on my website. Well, most Superkick has Superkick has shows in September and October that I'm not going to be at because I've got conventions. Sure. And one of the things I told them in December, January was, uh, listen, I. I'm I'm going to come in, I'm going to work for you for this year, but if your dates conflict with the comic book convention, guess who wins? Yeah, yeah. It's like, not that's a no-brainer. It's not going to be wrestling this year. Yeah. If, you, if you run a show during New York Comic Con, good luck. I'm going to be in New York. <laughs> yeah. Which is exactly what's happening. Uh, that's one of the shows I'm missing. Right. So, you know, there's going to be a few shows. So, if my convention schedule picks up even more next year, how am I going to commit to your 12 dates? And Which it most likely will, especially if you take then, the time yeah, off to dive into there's, it. Right? There's, you know, six of your 12 dates that I'm not there. So, you know, what good am I doing for your, you know, how much am I helping as, an, as a quote-unquote integral part of your story, uh, of your promotion, if I if I'm not going to be there, you're going to plan around me, and I'm not going to be there. Right. And that's one of the reasons that I'm calling it quits because uh, this has to become my priority. Conventions and just working on the comic book has to become my priority over wrestling. Yeah, you've made that decision. How long have you been wrestling? Twenty years. And in that twenty year history, did you ever get to meet Rowdy Roddy Piper? I don't think I did. Really? I, I've really, I've really been racking my brain about that. I can't remember. I can't. I can think of a couple of close calls, but I don't remember ever actually meeting him. Well, I think maybe it, now that I'm thinking about it in my brain here, because once he kind of got out of the wrestling, he wasn't a guy who kind of just kept working. He really actually kind of did try to jump no, into the movies and. Hold on, that's the thing. He did a crap ton of indie shows. Like after the popularity, though? Absolutely. Really? After I thought he kind of went straight for B-movie stardom. After WCW, um, he still did a ton of indie shows and a bunch of conventions. He still did that stuff. And as after he passed away this past week, and I, I'm seeing everybody posting photos of themselves with them, I'm thinking to myself, I don't have 
have that photo. That's... I don't think I've had that experience. That's really weird. I totally expected you to. And I, yeah, well, there's a couple of close calls with him. The, the, the one that strikes me the most is the fact that um, the documentary about me that will probably never get finished. Right. The mysterious... Yeah. <laughs> Unknown documentary. Let's not get too deep into that. I've had my say. You can go to my website and, and go through my blog. <laughs> we talked about that just a few months ago. Um, uh, the director, who will go unnamed because at this point he doesn't deserve it, um, <laughs> contacted Roddy Piper about narrating the movie. Okay. And, um, I, I'm almost certain that what happened was that Piper named a price that, uh, that was too high for what the director was. Sure. For. Uh, and I think he was going to take a second run at it closer to completion. That would have been neat, eh? Would have been fantastic. I was, I was psyched for that, uh, that possibility. Um, but, you know, blah blah blah. That ain't that. It was <laughs> more, I, I was more, than, to, more yeah. than Piper. More than Piper passing away is I don't know if this clown is ever going to finish the movie. So <laughs> I'm going to make a movie about that movie, like I'm gonna, like, oh, the, like that movie they're making about Superman Returns. I'm going to yeah. make that movie about the making of your movie, and it's going to be an intense mystery. You know what? <laughs> And, and the thing, the minor thing that pisses me off the most about that, besides, well, okay, I shouldn't say the thing that pisses me off the most, because there's a ton of shit about the documentary not happening that pisses me off. But one of the things, one of the things uh, is the fact that um, I never edited and released the actual, the DVD of the actual event itself, of the wrestling show itself. Right. Because this clown told me, begged me, don't do that because it devalues the movie if the video the of a DVD of the event is already out there. Man. Now, I mean... The DVD of the event was never going to be, you know, a gigantic blockbuster sales bonanza. Yeah, no, you would have put it on your YouTube and been done with it. I would have, well, no, I would have sold it at the next show. Part of, one of the reasons that, that, that promotions, wrestling promotions sell DVDs is to maximize the profit of their, their, their live events. So if I could have sold, say I sold 40, 50 DVDs at 10, maybe 15 bucks a piece. Oh God, math. That's, you know, say, say I, say I maxed out sales of a DVD at $750. That's still $750 more than I had before. Thanks to the DVD sales. Uh, I mean, yeah, considering your back, crappy documentary back, didn't even come out. Yeah, that goes back <laughs> into the kitty to make what is a 
marginally profitable at best, money losing, constantly money losing at worst, yeah. uh, uh, thing, uh, endeavor. So what he did was, uh, was rob me of a little bit of profit today for the prestige of something tomorrow, and the tomorrow never came. That's a bitch. So all he did was help, uh, help sink the union faster. Okay, you went in one whole direction, and you bringing up the union, we're going to go back in the direction that I was going to take us before, because uh, even though you didn't meet him, I wanted your thoughts on Piper, because uh, I, know, I know you grew up with him. I, you know? I love Piper. My God. Uh, Best heel ever? Uh, I thought about this yesterday. Um, three best heels of all time. Okay. Piper, and in no particular order, Piper, Ric Flair, Bobby Heenan. Right on. Those are the three guys who could take a, take, put their hands on a microphone, talk for three minutes, for five minutes, for ten minutes, and make you reach for your wallet and throw money at the screen, <laughs> screaming, I need a ticket to go see that guy get his ass kicked. Yeah, yeah. And that is, I, I just taught a, uh, a class at the Super Kicked uh, Wrestling School a couple weekends ago. Oh, that's fun. Uh, yeah, where I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm teaching the kids how to talk, teaching the kids. You know, promos, personalities. Nice. And one of the things I told them is your job, uh, the reason you need this, the, the, the skill to speak is part of your job is to talk to that audience and make them want to see you. Make them want to see you beat someone up. Make them want to see you get beaten up. And to enhance their, you know, their enjoyment of, of a live event. But you, you, you need to be able to communicate to, uh, connect with that crowd and draw literally. I mean, that's why the word is, you know, is, is in such use in, in wrestling vernacular. Draw the crowd in. Make them get, give them a reason to get up out of their homes. And come to some strange building somewhere and plunk down their hard-earned money to sit and watch you perform. And Piper, Flair, Heenan, better than anybody ever, are yeah. people that could draw you in. You know? Yeah. Um, and... When you have when you have a hero at the time, at least in the '80s, when you have a hero on such an epic scale and scope as Hulkamania was at, yeah. And if you were a young kid, this was just like a superhero to you. You needed an equally intelligent, evil genius bad guy. Oh, absolutely. To, and I, I saw know. an interview with Piper, you know, because I've been watching some Piper stuff this week. That's what happens, uh, yeah. you know. Um, Piper himself, talking about uh, WWF in 1984, one of the things he said was, you know, one of the things that these guys didn't realize was it's not, it's not the, it's not the good guy who, who uh, 
who brings in the crowd. It's the heel. It's the it's the bad guy. Because I you know I love Hulk Hogan. He's great. He's you know Hulk Mania. Blah blah blah. But um, WrestleMania doesn't sell seat one if his opponent is Tom Rocky Stone, Mario <laughs> Mancini, or Iron Mike Sharp. <laughs> he, 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 they needed the foil, the great villain. They said, it, do people care about Batman if there's no Joker? Do people care about G.I. Joe if there's no Cobra? Of you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, you need, you need that, that tremendous villain, that real threat, that, that, Focal point for all your hatred. You knew so it I, was always going to end bad. You know, you he was always going to pull something on somebody, and you just yeah. sat there in excitement, waiting to see what it was going to be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's he was he was fantastic. And there's not you can you know if you go back to uh, uh, mid '80s before he or the early '80s before he joins uh, WWF when he's you know working places like Portland. And he's working uh, the Carolinas for the Crockett's, and you watch his you watch his promos from from back then. He's just he's manic and hilarious, and all you want to do, you know, if you're if you're a fan at that point, all you you laugh at what he says, and then you want to see. Ric Flair smash him in the face. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> so. <laughs> well, what I always loved about Piper's Pit was how it was a show designed around, it was just setting up the opportunity to bring someone out for him to trash talk and yeah. then, you know, well, a lot blindside. Times... But the funny thing is, everyone knew it was a show about blindsiding, yet they kept doing it. And these wrestlers kept coming on, pretending like they were just going to get interviewed. Or well, something. the way he and he describes in this video talking about 1984, he describes how um, how Piper's Pit came about, and he it, he he's out drinking with Vince, and he says, "I want an interview segment in the show. You give me five weeks, and then." If you don't like it, I'll, I'll, I'll quit. I'll leave the territory. Wow. And, um, you know, let's do it. And they came, they, you know, they built the set for him. Had, had anything liked, like that ever been done before? No. No. Not not in that manner. Right. Um, so he, uh, he, he, they basically would send him out there during the TV tapings. At that point, they were taping. They would tape, like, uh, four weeks of TV at a time, or three weeks of TV at a time, I should say, in places like, there was still, Saul still in the Northeast, places like Poughkeepsie and uh, Scranton, or, you know. Uh, so, I guess when he said... Uh, five weeks, he knew that at least he'd get two TV, it would have to be over two TV tapings, so he'd get a chance to do it and then fine-tune it, but when they first did it, they built him the set, they sent him out there, he had no idea who the guest was going to be until right before he went out there. Awesome. And, uh, 
I think the, the, the one of the really famous ones was either, I think it might have been the second one, where uh, they had a jobber named uh, Frank Williams come out, and Frank is sitting there uh, in his you know baby blue singlet and this dazed look on his face, and in a you know when when Piper starts to interview him, he has no idea what to do with the guy. When Piper starts to interview him, he says, "Where are you from?" And in this thick Puerto Rican accent, he says, "I'm from Columbus, Ohio." <laughs> and at that point, Piper says he's like, okay, well, this is just going off the rails. And he attacks Williams. He starts beating Williams up. <laughs> and Williams doesn't know what's happening. <laughs> you know, uh, Williams actually, Williams is so uh, out of the loop on what's happening that he actually, tr- at, at, when Piper throws him out, he actually comes back to try and attack Piper again. <laughs> awesome. And this is this is when Piper busts out the line, the you know one of his most famous lines. Just when they think they got all the answers, I change the questions. And Piper says in this interview, Williams stepped on the line on his mic. The only reason that they got the line, they got the audio for him saying this, is because of the mic on the camera itself. Really, and that's how it's just indicative of how. Uh, completely on the fly, uh, a lot of the Piper's Pit segments were, especially early on. Oh, I'm sure. Because they always, they often look confused. The guests never had, didn't get to say much. They just had to kind of go along with the madness. And Yeah, well, Piper, yeah. he was he was doing it, you know, on the fly. And he says, and this is one of the things I try to teach the kids, and, and after hearing this Piper interview, I, I finally have the words to, to, to give them. Um, is he he said he would he'd be driving down the road you know between shows he he'd have a, a yellow legal pad and a pen and he'd be driving with his knees and he'd just start writing stuff down that came to mind you know all these lines like you know yeah just when yeah. They, they got the answers I'll change it and he'd say he'd come up with fifteen of those and fourteen of them would be crap. But he'd have one really great new line for the next time he cut promo. Brainstorm it out, yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, all of that stuff is what came from him, as opposed to nowadays, where uh, you know there's a there's a failed sitcom writer backstage, <laughs> and he tells he yeah. tells the, the kid going up for the promo, "This is what you need to say." No. no, I don't want to. I don't want a script from you. It's it's funny how it led to a string of them from like pretty good PR people, like because then you got like the barber shop. Yeah, and uh, one of the questions that Piper was asked in 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 these interviews was, you know, you're the progenitor of this. Do you ever get nervous when, uh, you know, they have uh blackjack's barbecue or the snake pit or the barber shop? or any of these other things that come along after. And he said, no, I always thought, bring it on, because they're not going to be as good as me. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> so, you know. But, uh, it's uh, too bad. Did you see that eye poke medley video on Facebook? Yes, I did. It was so and good. That's, that's another one of the things that he talks about in this in this interview is, I'm just recounting this whole shoot interview now. Uh, he talks about being in uh, in the AWA, uh, in Minnesota, 
and being in a dressing room with uh, sitting with uh, Larry the Axe Henning, Mr. Perfect's father. Nice. And there was a guy who came in, and uh, I'll get it wrong, so I won't recount the whole story, but it was a German fellow, and he was being a dick about something, and uh, Henning just didn't feel like dealing with him, so he just stood up, looked at him, said, hey, and the guy turned and looked at him, and let Hennig just poked him in the eyes, <laughs> and the guy, and the guy went down like a sack of crap. And Piper's watching this, and he goes, "All right, I like that." So, and, and he said that's where he got it from from a dressing room incident, and he kept it, and he started doing it in the ring. And it became legendary. Yeah, I love it. I, yeah. I, I love. I, that's one of the things I loved about it was the eye poke. He, uh, he some would, of them are so well timed at moments yeah. you wouldn't expect one, where you think like the other person's already hurt, and then he waits. <laughs> but it's such a that that the eye poke, as opposed to the eye rake, where you dig your fingers into the guy's yeah. eyes or whatever. The eye poke is such a complete childish. Fuck you to the guy. And you're letting the crowd know with that little thing who you are. Whether they like you or they hate you, you're letting the crowd know I'm just a dirty cheater. Yeah. I'm just a <laughs> Yeah, it was well, it was such a huge reaction to his loss, man. It was yeah. uh, I'm sure he would have felt great about it and well, he, yeah. he, it's a fine Canadian uh, fallen right there too. He is, he is largely responsible for uh, the all of it, the explosion yeah. in professional wrestling in '84 and '85. Uh, and as much as it takes Vince McMahon to say "screw the other promoters," I'm going to move into their territories. And as much as it takes Hulk Hogan to be uh, to be the the bronze Adonis, the action figure looking, yeah. uh, you know, giant hey, human being, yeah. you know that that focal point. It takes Piper um, articulating his madness to 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 these crowds over and over again, and kicking Cindy Lauper in the head, <laughs> and and smashing her gold record over Lou Albano's face. And, you know, and, and cheating and, and, you know, just being everything that the crowd would love or hate without him, uh, who steps up into that place and, and, and helps propel things. If you think about who the other, uh, performers and characters were of that time. Um, there's nobody else. I don't think there's anybody else who could have stepped into that spot. No, not at all. And I mean, wrestling itself had to change after he was gone. Eventually, it had to mold into the Attitude Era because there they didn't have that anymore. Everyone just had to become a badass because that 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 balance of the good guy evil just wasn't working at at that time. You know what I mean? Maybe it's because there was no one to fill his shoes. <laughs> yeah. well, who knows? So there's a cool lineup of wrestlers uh, at Fan Expo this year. Uh, yeah, I know Road Warrior Animal's going to be there. Booker T is going to be there. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Rocky Johnson. 
Rocky or Ricky? Rocky, the dad. Really? Yeah, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's dad will be at Fan Expo this year. I did not know that. Yeah. Wonder who's bringing him. Which is uh, pretty cool. There's, I saw in one of the emails. Yeah. Uh, uh, there was like four, and he was one of them, and I was like, wow, that's kind of cool, actually. Uh, you know, Mike Tyson will be there. Yes, Mike Tyson will be there. I'm glad they're, even though they bring in these sporty people, at least they're not doing that sports, sports expo. expo thing again. Like, that was, that was just silly. And it wasted so much room, you know, and. Yeah, well, they've moved all the celebrity stuff and the, uh, and the horror to the uh, north building at the Toronto Metro Toronto Convention Center. And they're also finally stepping up on their voice actors. There's some amazing voice actors coming, Jess Harnell and Nolan North and uh some... oh, that sounds that sounds like a Jason problem. That's a big that's a big problem <laughs> for me that I, I cannot wait to solve, man. I'm really stoked about this year. I got a lot of friends coming up from Michigan. Uh, Josh Werner, Jay Fosgett, all these awesome fucking Michigan people are coming up. And uh... okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna play devil's advocate. Here. Yeah, I want to get your opinion on something. Yes. What do you think of cosplayers as sponsored guests of a convention? I think it's okay. I want to be careful how I put this because. I'm often on the fence about cosplayer issues, but in this one, I lean towards more that it's it's silly. It's it's I think it takes away from the purity of I guess the whole cosplay itself, if that makes sense. You know. Well, okay. I'm I'm looking right now at uh, Fan Expo's guest page and their cosplayers, and they have. Well, I guess it's actually 12 here. There's 11 photos, 12 people that they have listed as cosplay guests. And to the best of my ability here, uh, it, it, it would appear that 11 of the 12 guests listed are, uh, female. And I hope I'm not being insensitive to anybody on this list who might be transgender. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, 11, 11 of 12 are women. And, um, there is, now this is going to sound misogynist, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm leading to, it's coming from a good place, so please bear with me. Uh, there is barely anything under a D cup bra amongst them. Right, right. Okay? Yeah. So, um, why? And I'm not picking on Fan Expo, because I'll tell you what, that convention has been terrific to me, right. and, okay, and, it's, here. and it's, it's a terrific convention. But this is about um, the, the evolution of, uh, of uh, the cosplay community and um, I wonder if uh, these 11 women are famous because they're great cosplayers, or is it simply because, um, are they there for fanboys to drool over? 
Okay, here's. I think that's the. And, and I don't know. Listen, uh, hold on. I, I again, I'm doing a lot of prefacing here because I don't want to come off as, uh, as you know, uh, some hardline anti cosplay guy because I'm not. I think cosplay is friggin' cool, except for that stupid kid who was running around at Comic Con yelling last year. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. my my thoughts about cosplay are. Absolutely. Why not? Um, unless you have a costume that is so big and so annoying that you're blocking, uh, you're blocking the aisles, then. Well, there's etiquette, right? Yeah, there's etiquette, and a lot of people don't follow it, whether they're in cosplay or not. Yeah, and it, uh, that that needs to be that needs to be encouraged and nurtured. But I think it comes down to what you said about. Who are the genuine cosplayers who may be there worthy of being a guest, in my mind, or the ones who have, A, built a reputation for being incredible at making their own stuff, mm -hmm. and they, that's the prime reason why they got big? Sure, bring them people as a guest. They've probably inspired many other kids to do the same or make their own stuff. Sure. But yeah, if you're just there as a pair of tits in a costume that you didn't even make, that's... That's kind of, I don't get the point of that. That's just like hiring models to like sign autographs. Like, yeah, and I, and I think, listen, let's let's face it. That's what this is. Is you're hiring models to sign autographs, and it just so happens to be like if you go to uh, if you go to the Toronto Auto Show. I know a ton of girls who have worked at the Toronto Auto Show as models for cars, and it, they're they're just there. They are specifically there. To be attractive, draw a guy's eyes over to a vehicle, yeah, booth and babes, walk yeah. over, and hear some literature about the car. Now, if if you have, and I don't want to pick on any of um, any particular of these girls, but I'm just, you know Yaya Han or Riddle or whatever other names I'm seeing here, um, they are they're 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 models wearing. You know, uh. Well, actually, I'll speak. Since you, since you did name the name, actually, one of the things I do respect about Yaya Han is that she makes her own shit. Yeah. Always has. Yeah. And she just happens to be hot and, yeah, bought herself some titties. And that, <laughs> I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That goes along well with her making her own shit. She's displaying both in a way, you know? So I'm actually okay with her because I know that. You know, she does a lot of judging these cosplay contests too, and helps a lot of kids along or whatever. That's that's a lot more input. That's a lot more uh, like uh, you know contribution to something than just being a booth babe, selling your tits in a Wonder Woman bra, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I, I think for me it's one of those things, and this is, listen, this is you know me being an old guy and 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 you know, being out of touch to a degree. But for me, one of the things, what I like about cosplay is kids doing it because they're passionate about it. The fact that it has grown to a place where people are able to monetize it um, just by doing what so many other people are doing. I like, I like the fun of... Here's, here, it boils down to this for me. 
I've given up on pro sports. I barely, I, I have almost zero interest in pro sports anymore. It doesn't you. mean I don't like baseball. It doesn't mean I don't like hockey. It just means that I don't care about pro sports anymore. Yeah. When it comes to cosplayers, if I'm sitting at my table and you walk by wearing a really, really cool uh, Rick and Morty costume, I'm going to say, hey. You're going to love that. I'm going to say, hey, Rick Sanchez, come here, let me take a photo. Yes. Now, if if a convention is giving you a table and space and you're making a living dressing as Rick and Morty, I'm going to think, eh, yeah, that yeah. kind of takes the fun out of it. Yeah, yeah. Now it's a now it might be a hell of a lot of fun for you, but it's also your business now. As a man, that's not as that's not as much. Here, compare it to this. Let me compare it to this. One of my podcasting heroes. I'm not going to mention his name because he's still a hero, and I'm not. Tra- <laughs> one, of, one of my heroes who I'm now about to take a big steaming dump on. Well, a little bit of a talk shit, but it's more the, it's more of just an ethical disagreement. Is he recently? started doing his podcast through patreon so you can get an episode you still get the free full live episode uh from his show but then he'll do other just sit down interviews that you have to pay through patreon to hear now paying for podcasting for me i don't know just to me it feels like just a, de- a defiance of everything that podcasting is because because podcasting is be able to has been able to go this far and come this far and still maintain itself as a free medium blows my mind so i kind of really want it to stay that way and i think it's part of the cornerstone of right but, podcasting if somebody, but hang on but if somebody came to you and said i'd like to give you x amount of dollars to advertise on your podcast because i like your show and I know you get a lot of listeners, and uh, so them with advertising—that's yeah. a whole other issue. Don't get yeah. me wrong. If 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 me getting money to like maintain my podcast is what I would use the money for, and made it free for me to do, yeah, absolutely, I'd have advertising. Nothing against that, but the idea that you got to pay to listen is a whole other, you know, shebang for me. That's a that just feels weird. I've never paid. In my life for a podcast. Yeah. Maybe I think one or two I've paid for Smodcast episodes that were for charity. Yeah. You know what I mean? But other than that, I, I just, I don't know. There's something feels but wrong. I, it just I, feels I, wrong. I think what it boils down to is, and, you know, this is why I keep apologizing as I say things, is it's mixed emotions because it's something, it's something new and it's still kind of odd the way things are evolving and that doesn't mean it's that doesn't mean it's wrong it just means that um feels wrong it, no, it just means it just means that you know maybe maybe they're ahead of the curve and a lot of us have to catch up uh, I don't like to go around that curve, though. I want this medium to stay free for all forever. Like I know that's like sounds like hippy dippy bullshit, yeah. but but you know, uh, listen. I, I, as as far as whether you know our, uh, opinions are right or wrong about it, okay. Um, a lot of people will, you know, you say something, it's out there, and you're going to get judged on it. And I'm sure that there are uh, some 
your listeners who are listening to us talk about this and are sitting there saying right now, oh, this fucking guy is shitting on cosplay and who does he think he is and, you know, he's selling his cosplay. It's, it's absolutely, I'm, I'm making this decision, I'm thinking out loud about it. I know I've, I've I I know you well enough, and I've seen you appreciate enough good cosplay, and I totally get what you're saying. That yeah. it's it's a warped meta thing when it gets to the point where the fans have turned themselves into a product. Yeah, I totally get that because it is weird. Like they literally, the fans have turned themselves into a product and found a way to get their own tables and shit. Yeah, and it's like, wait a minute, this is aren't we supposed to be here to see the comic creators and? Every time that there's a cosplayer at a table, it's taking away from a comic book creator at the same time who's trying to bang out a living doing this. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know any, I don't think there's anybody, even though this is professional cosplayers, is there anybody dedicated enough that they're trying to make a living off it and they're not successful at it yet? Like, that sounds bonkers, no? <laughs> you kind of have to be, like, you have to have, like, a, like a supportive spouse or, be living with your parents to even be able to attempt that level of cosplay, no? Yeah. Well, hey, listen. What, basically, and we said this. I said this already. Uh, what you what you are is you are a, you're a fashion model, and it's just a different type of fashion, and that's great. Hopefully, you have. Hopefully, you're not doing it because somebody said, "Hey, you're a hot chick. Put on this cross." Uh, this gender bending Iron Man outfit and people will freak out. Uh, hopefully you're doing it because you, uh, you love comics or, or video games or whatever. Or whatever. Yeah. And you love dressing up and it just develops into something, you know, hopefully you're, hopefully you really care about what you're doing. Um, but, but yeah, basically what's happening, what cosplayer, cosplay guests are is, is fashion models for the convention circuit. And, 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 you know, showroom models, like I said, at a, at a, at a, at an auto show. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's also indicative of the. Not all. I wouldn't say all of them, but, but many of them. No, no, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making generalizations. Yeah. Uh, Oh, man, I want to make a bad old joke right now. Go ahead. I'm making broad generalizations. Or possibly I'm making generalizations about broads. <laughs> Thank you, Rodney Dangerfield, wherever you are. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's indicative of the, the, uh, the change. I don't want to say evolution because maybe it's a, a devolution. Uh, of the change ongoing changes in convention culture because it's not really, I mean, look, fan expo isn't a comic convention anymore, man. Not in any way. Fan expo is a pop culture convention. And, um, the, the basis of it, the, the, the root of it, the birthplace of it is comic books, but it's obviously grown into much more. Yeah. Um, so, if this is one of those things that, you know, it's got to work it out. Yeah. This is one of the things that it's grown to include and, uh, you know, decide for yourself. Listen, here's the decide for yourself whether you think it's a good or a bad thing. If you like it, go to the North building, visit the cosplay guests. Yeah. Don't like it. 
I'll be in the South Building in Artist Alley with copies of the first hero, <laughs> Fight for Your Life, numbers one and hopefully two. <laughs> numbers one and two or volumes? Uh, well, I'll have the entire volume one. And from volume two, I'll have, I know I'll have issue one. I will hopefully have issue two. Any variants for volume two, issue both, one? Both uh, issues one and two have variant covers. I drew the cover, the variant cover, for uh, for issue two myself. Sure. Uh, As which, writers do. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I can draw a little, you know? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, it, you know, it's one of those things I look at it now a couple of months later, and it's like, oh, this is so hand-handed. I can do better. So now I'm drawing... Now I'm drawing another cover for something else. Well, I'm stoked to see Danny's work because Danny, from oh, what I, little uh, I've seen, seems like awesomeness. Danny's work is so great. Danny Zabal is my uh, he's a local uh, guy, longtime friend of mine. He's the artist on Volume Two, and uh, uh, seriously, go to, go to the store on on Wednesday and pick it up. If your store doesn't have it, then come to Fan Expo and see us because we'll have them. Danny and I will both be there in our Sally. And uh, we actually have uh, we have sketch covers coming. Uh, we're doing a very small run of, of blank sketch covers. Uh, I'll have a handful. Danny will have most of them. Uh, but, um, I think what Danny is going to do, we talked about this briefly this week, I think what Danny's going to do for the sketch covers is uh, he'll take a picture of you and he'll draw you as an extra human villain. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, a neat uh, idea. Yeah. 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 It'd be funky if you could find an old Polaroid camera to do it with. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a Polaroid camera. I just don't know if I could get film for it. Really? You held yeah. on to it. Somewhere in here I have, unless I got rid of it, I, I should still have it. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, the convention's going to be fun. I'm doing, I'm doing fan expo, uh, September 3rd through 7th, following weekend, I'm in Pittsburgh at Wizard World Pittsburgh. And then uh, beginning of October, I'm at New York Comic Con. And those are my three, my last three conventions for the year. And then we'll uh, we'll gear up for 2016. Are you going to go real hard 2016? Um, as far as conventions? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. There's probably... Um, there's probably, well, there's four that I know I'll do for sure. And that's, uh, Toronto Comic Con, uh, Fan Expo, um, uh, New York Comic Con, and what was the other one that I, uh, if there's another GTA Comic Con, I'll do that. Um, then I'll probably do, I, I will, uh, we got to get you hooked up into Motor City next year. I would like to do Motor City. I have a list I was making the other day, and I, I, I made myself a note on the side to talk to, talk to Jay about Motor City. Uh, I, I would probably do Pittsburgh again because Pittsburgh is uh, – the city is, you know, it's my home away from home. Uh, there's a bunch of Canadian conventions that I'd, I'd like to try. Have you been to Hamilton Comic Con? No, I haven't. Me neither. I, I think I'm going to check it out this year, though. Um. You know, for me, one of the things is is uh, is cost, and uh, you know, as the book grows, hopefully, more and more conventions will contact me and say we'd like you as a guest. 
Uh, well, of course, that's sense. always the better. Yeah, as one of the reasons I am uh, I'm working so hard to get uh, new material out is, uh, you know, got to grow this thing and get my name out there so that I, you know, I become a cosplay guest. Uh. <laughs> nice, nice. And by the way, anybody out there, you know now in the next con we're going to actually see some Rick and Morty cosplay, right? Oh, jeez, I hope so. Wouldn't that be fun? That's a brilliant Wait, idea. I think, doesn't the new season start like this week? It, it already started. It, it already started. Start. All right. Yeah, very July cool. 26th was the first episode. Hey, you introduced me to that while sitting at the GTA Comic Con. Oh, Rick and Morty. And, uh, yeah, no, it's it's great. I've introduced uh, other people to it since, too. Of, if you haven't checked my, out Rick and Morty, kids. One of my favorite things to see cosplayed right now is I see a lot of, uh, I see a lot of uh, Tina Belcher from Bob's Burgers. Right, right, I yeah. <laughs> I see Tina's and Louise's. I've seen Bob's. I've seen Bob's, but I see I see Tina and Louise, and I see that I see that uh, that those bunny ears come around a corner, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just makes me happy. You that dug on that show that from that the show beginning, didn't you? It's a fantastic show. But uh, but uh, Rick and Morty, yes, you need some Rick and Morty cosplay. That would be amazing. Good lord, so. That is uh, volume two of the first hero from Action Lab. Anthony yes. Ruckazer and Danny Zabal at your local comic shop this week. And uh, will it be digital anywhere at any point? Ah, as a matter of fact, it is already issue one is already available digitally. Uh, it came the original street date for the comic was supposed to be August fifth, and then you know a little uh, little hitch in the in the works, so the street date is now the twelfth. But uh, the book came out on Comixology on time. Uh, if you go to Comixology right now, you will, you can search for the first hero. You can uh, and, and and you'll find the first issue. Or you can go to if you uh, if that's too annoying, you can go to my website sixteen uh, hectares dot com or thefirsthero.com with a one instead of an i in first. And uh, I, I just put up an article uh, this morning, this afternoon, whatever time it is, um, that uh, – did I publish it? Hold on. I'm clicking refresh it. Ah, there it is. Uh, and uh, right in the first line of the article, there is a link to the, uh, to the Comixology page with issue one. And Very it nice. is great. <laughs> you should bite the shit out of that comic. Are you going to kickstart volume three as well? Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's, that's not going to be until the end of the year. Um, it might even, I might even wait on the Kickstarter until, uh, until next spring, like February, maybe. Right on. Yeah, yeah. Breathe uh, a little, man. Breathe, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because listen, if I can get this book up to eight issues a year, that means I'm going to be running a, the, a, two Kickstarters a year. Yeah, that's just, uh, that that's, takes I'm work. I'm going to be running two Kickstarters a year, like a Kickstarter every six months just for the first hero. Yeah. Uh, and then whatever else I go into publishing with. Sure, I'm sure you're get, working on, yeah. Those will get their own yeah, Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. Because so the, Kickstarter, the Kickstarter is a, is for me, it is... Purely a way to fund the back end of the comic. I fund my uh, coloring and lettering and a tiny bit of promotion with each Kickstarter. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not 
running the Kickstarter to uh, to get rich or live a life of leisure. Uh, well. <laughs> my Kickstarters, my Kickstarters are are uh, the, you like the, to think most aren't. No, no, but the goal, the goal of my, I've seen some Kickstarters where the guys are saying, well, um, uh, I'm looking for twenty thousand dollars because my kids need to eat while I'm drawing this comic book. Hey, listen. If 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 you can do it, but I know I know of at least one guy who's a reasonably big name. I think he ran his Kickstarter three times, and he started with forty thousand, then down to twenty thousand, then down to ten thousand. I'm not sure if he got it the third time. I don't. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure the comic ever came out. Um, and in that's where I got the line about my kids need to eat. It was in his Kickstarter. Uh, man, I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to fund the book yeah. and get it out there for people to read. You're just and trying it, to make it. Yeah. And <laughs> if uh, if if then the sales earn me a profit, thank God. But um, I'm right now I I'm just looking to to create without uh, going deep into debt. And, oh yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. And for for the people who uh, who pledge to you know my Kickstarter, they they get those books. It makes sure that you know books get into their hand that they can read and enjoy. And uh, so it's yeah. it's very I think of it as very symbiotic. Uh, whereas I you know. Part of the problem with Kickstarters now is it's become so prevalent that some of the Kickstarters you see are just parasitic. Uh, I try not to go through. I try to like find Kickstarters not through Kickstarter, you know, just meeting other people. But uh, when's the next Super Kick show? Uh, is uh, Saturday, August twenty second at the Great Hall, Queen and uh, Queen Street West uh, at uh, Dover Court. Uh, which is a great building, and it's a great show. So come out. All Black Everything will be in action. Very and nice. uh, we will uh, we will do our best to uh, hurt some people's feelings along with their bodies. <laughs> Always and, fun. Uh, and I, I, I should even have copies of number one at the, uh, at the Superkick show, along with a new T-shirt. I'm working on a new T-shirt design. Blur the lines, Anthony. Absolutely. That is Anthony Kingdom Rutkazer James. <laughs> and he's blurring the line, kids. You'll see him at Fan Expo. And uh, go check out his Super Kick show. It's always good times hanging out, chatting with you, my friend. Yeah, man. Uh, we'll do it again soon, and we'll see all you kids live. That is all we're going to have, though, this week on an All Your Weapon Kids. Take it easy.